Thank you very, very much, Clark. It is a great privilege to be here at Labrie, and I certainly enjoy listening to the lectures uh, on Fridays, and it's a privilege to be actually giving one. So I'm going to ask that we uh, pray now before we begin. Heavenly Father, in Scripture, you have given us the hope of the restoration of all things in Christ. Help us now, by your Holy Spirit, to grasp the fullness of all you have in store for us. And so let it impact our lives now that we may see your kingdom coming to birth in and through us who are in Christ, your new creation. Amen. Okay. In Paul's uh, great passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13, which we hear virtually at I would say 90% of the weddings I did would have had uh, 1 Corinthians. There is a well-known phrase, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, I hear a lot of talk about faith and love, but not much about hope. Hope is an essential component of the believer's life in Christ. And Paul mentions hope uh, about uh, over 35 times in 11 of his 13 letters. And he uses uh, the word to sum up the present motivation and future expectation of the Christian life when he says, this is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God. Now, I would say that a large part of that hope is connected to our future existence beyond this life as we and we infer this from verses like uh, your faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel from Colossians 1 and having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life Titus uh, 3 verse 7 and then from 1 Corinthians 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So eternal life, which begins now and continues after death, is a major theme of the Christian life. But our concepts of the afterlife are somewhat confused and fuzzy, mm -hmm. with visions of sitting on clouds, playing harps, uh, in some otherworldly existence. And perhaps that is why we have downplayed hope as it all sounds somewhat unreal and even, may I say, boring. <laughs> so in this lecture and the subsequent one, which will be in the fall, making it a two-part series on Christian hope, my hope is that you will see the afterlife from a renewed biblical perspective, which will be shown to be far more engaging than popular assumptions depicted. And not only that, I also hope to show that a true biblical picture of the life to come deeply impacts how we live now. And in this lecture, I'm going to focus on our journey through death and the concepts of resurrection and immortality. The next lecture will look at what the life to come will be like. So I'm sure you'll want to tune in for that next term. So this lecture begins with the challenge of going through death and the difficulty of knowing what lies beyond. 
We will then look at the biblical promise of resurrection, contrasting it with the immortality of the soul, moving on to questions about the intermediate state, uh, why we need a resurrection body, what it is like, when we will receive it, and how the resurrection affects us today. And we will conclude with resurrection hope. So an out, at the uh, outset of this evening's lecture, I want to acknowledge my great debt to Bishop Tom Wright for his writings on the subject. And I, um, I actually have them listed uh, in my talk, uh, specifically uh, um, Surprised by Hope, but there are a number of, of uh, mentions of uh, the, the life to come in many of his other writings, which I have uh, looked at. Let's look at Through Death and Beyond. We want to tackle first what many of us look feel as we look at death. There is a certain fear, and it seems uh, so final. That I believe the reason why death uh, brings fear to us, it seems so final. It is such a break with what we have known. It is such a separation. But for the follower of Jesus, there is good news. The author of Hebrews says... Christ shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So, Jesus, by his death, has conquered death. He is the resurrection and the life. Death has been swallowed up by victory. He or she who hears the word of Jesus and believes in the one who sent him has eternal life and will not be condemned. They have crossed over from death to life. So these assurances, which are found again and again throughout Scripture, give us a basis for, in the words of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, at the funeral, uh, at the burial, uh, time when you're lowering the coffin into the ground or the ashes into the ground in sure and certain hope I think that's one of the most exciting things I say or I have said as I've been a pastor and uh, people have left my funerals saying I don't know pastor if that was the right feeling to have but I really want to say I really uh, enjoyed that and anyway I really feel we need to affirm that um, uh, we have this sure and certain hope and those words come from the 15th century, 14th, 16th century. So I believe that all this affirmation, this assurance, takes away our fear of what lies beyond. Now, obviously, we are still worried about the process of dying. Yet knowing we are in the hands of a loving Redeemer gives us the courage and the comfort to pass through that time of transition. Mm -hmm. So at the outset, we want to say that we have the assurance that Christ has destroyed death and the fear of death. So now, but there is, um, there are, we, we asked the question, well, what is life like beyond the grave? What is it like? Well, there are limitations on our knowledge. Uh, we want to know, uh, where do we go? What will it be like? And the Bible gives us broad pictures, but is very short on details. And perhaps it is impossible for us to see clearly. It's a bit like telling uh, a baby in the womb 
what life is going to be like after birth. Imagine trying to explain to a fetus what life on the outside will be like. For instance, you say, the baby says, what are these? And you say, feet, what are they for? Walking, well, what's walking? Then the baby says, what are these? You say, well, these are eyes, what are they for? They're for seeing, well, what's seeing? The baby says, what are these? You reply, ears, and they say, what are they for? They're for hearing, what's hearing, and so on. Although we do hear, actually, that babies may be able to have some uh, hearing possibilities. That's another story. It's almost impossible to explain to a baby in the womb what life will be like after birth. It is the same for us with life after death. But the Bible does give us two ways of helping us look beyond the grave. One is the concept of resurrection. The other is helpful analogies. Today we're going to look at the concept of resurrection and in the next lecture in September or the fall we will look at helpful analogies. So here we go. Resurrection. Now in the Creed, if you're in a church that says the Creed, or you might know of the Creed anyway, we, we recite, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Do we understand what we are saying? Uh, I did recommend that people look at Mark chapter 12. Uh, if you've looked at it, great. But uh, for those of you who didn't, Mark chapter 12 talks about a confrontation Jesus had with the uh, religious authorities, the Sadducees, um, that they were not uh, like the Pharisees. They were a strict lay movement. But the Sadducees were the aristocracy, the, the high priests, and so on. And they came to Jesus with a trick question about uh, the resurrection. I won't go into the details about it. But uh, you see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Sorry. Um, and uh, Jesus speaks very confidently of the reality of this event and refers to people later on in chapter 20 of Luke as children of the resurrection. His followers are children of the resurrection. Now, in describing the life beyond, people, even Christians, can become fuzzy and unbiblical in their thinking. Don't think Christians are, are fuzzy and unbiblical in their thinking? Well, many Christians believe in the immortality of the soul, which means that humans have an existence independent of God, that their soul goes on forever. Oops. That their soul goes on forever, and that is part of their being in the image of God. However, the Bible says... God alone is immortal. And our being in God's image doesn't involve us being immortal any more than it does us being omnipresent, knowing being everywhere, or omniscient, knowing everything. So immortality is not a natural characteristic of uh, normal human beings. Our being in the image of God involves our capacity to have a relationship with him, to be a person capable of making decisions. Humans are not independently immortal. Our existence depends on God. And I'm going to quote Tom Wright here quite extensively uh, because I think it's very helpful. Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright, former bishop of uh, um, 
Durham in England, but a great scholar and historian and a biblical scholar. So you have the two together and he's really rooted the faith in history. So he says, do we have immortal souls? And if so, what are they? Again, much Christian and sub-Christian tradition has assumed that we all do indeed have souls that need saving and that the soul, if saved, will be the part that goes to heaven when we die. Now, all this, however, finds minimal support in the New Testament, including the teaching of Jesus, where the word soul, though rare, reflects when it does occur underlying words in Hebrew or Aramaic, referring not to a disembodied entity hidden within the outer shell of the disposable body, but what we would call now the whole person or personality seen as being confronted by God. And as to immortality, 1 Timothy 6.16 declares that only God himself has immortality, and 2 Timothy 1.10 declares that immortality has only come to light and hence is presumably only available through the gospel. In other words, the idea that every Christian possesses an immortal soul, which is the real part of them, finds little support in the Bible. That's end of quote. So if immortality of the soul is an unbiblical concept, how do we as physical beings with bodies that decay very soon after death continue through to the life hereafter? Now, I have a friend who is a physicist and he's given me a helpful analogy. And he said that each person is a unique and complex series of patterns and interactions. There is no one else like you or me. But this series of patterns must be held together and expressed in some way. In this life, it is our bodies that do that for us. Another analogy is that of computer hardware and software. Our physical bodies are the hardware and on which our software, our personality, our essence, exist. And I guess you could extend that to our memories, which often get lost and in the <laughs> cloud somewhere. All right. So at the resurrection, our personalities and essence are downloaded to our new bodies. And in this way, our physical nature is the framework on which these patterns exist and interact, which explains why the scriptures emphasize the necessity for our spiritual convictions to be lived out and expressed through our physical and psychological beings. Our physical and spiritual natures are so intertwined that faith must be expressed in actions, and our actions do affect our spiritual well-being. So at death, when our earthly body gives way, our existence is continued by the power of God. However, we are not ethereal spirits, floating around, but securely resting in God's care. Perhaps a heavenly USB stick, or the heavenly cloud, or the heavenly OneDrive. <laughs> then at the resurrection we are given new bodies through which we express ourselves and communicate in a new and totally fulfilling way. So Christians speak of resurrection rather than immortality. And you can check the scriptures on that. So that's the concept of resurrection and immortality. Moving on then to the intermediate state. Well, what happens 
between the time you die and the time you resurrect? Good question. And Tom Wright has offered two options for that because the Bible gives two options for that. <laughs> and I think it's very difficult because we will be outside of time. It's very difficult for mm -hmm. us to understand because we're in time now. Um, and it, it, we just have to speculate. Some see the intermediate state as being the paradise that Jesus refers to when he spoke or referred to when he spoke to the penitent thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now the word paradise is not what we commonly think it means. Heaven. No, it is the waiting room or the waiting space, the garden <laughs> outside the palace where you are to be received. You are going, waiting your final entry into the great house. However, the Bible also speaks of those who have departed as being asleep. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. And using the picture of sleep, what happens when we die will be just like going to bed at night with our next conscious moment being our awakening in the morning. Only it will be before the great white throne of God at the day of judgment and our joy at being welcomed into his presence. So we cannot speculate too much. Suffice to say that we are safely in God's care so we don't have to worry about details of the intermediate state between death and resurrection. Moving on then to why we need resurrection bodies. Well, this is now we're looking at the life beyond itself. I believe that most Christians here need a major shift in thinking when it comes to the hereafter. By the way, I should mention, uh, you know, these days I'm thinking a lot about the hereafter. Every time I come into a room, I say, now what was I hereafter? <laughs> Thank you. Now, we appeal to folk to believe in Jesus and you will go to heaven when you die. Believe in Jesus and you will go to heaven when you die. Me, believe, giving the assumption that the life to come is something otherworldly in sense of being ethereal and intangible. Up there and sort of boring. Like an unending church service that you don't really enjoy. I know there are many church services which you would just be thrilled to be at. But even then be at the at, you know, for, for the entire of eternity it's probably not the thing we would think of in the, but in this scenario of being in this ethereal intangible world the the talk of resurrection bodies sounds interesting but it doesn't seem to fit in with heaven which is the spiritual dimension right well yes and no bishop wright points out that we have misunderstood verses such as in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fail, kept in heaven for you, the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Well, we think that this implies we have to go to heaven to enjoy our salvation. But heaven in the Bible is not usually a reference to a future state, but to God's dimension of present reality. Look in the book of Revelation. Worship's going on there in heaven. It's normally hidden from our gaze, but that is where God's purposes are stored up. The point is that salvation is being kept in heaven for you 
in order then for it to be brought down from heaven to where you are so that you can enjoy it there. Bishop, Bishop Tom continues, It's rather like a parent in the run-up to Christmas assuring the child that there is indeed a present kept safe up in the cupboard for you. That does not mean that on Christmas Day and thereafter, the child is going to have to go and live in the cupboard in order to enjoy the present there. Rather, it means that at the appropriate time, the present will be brought forth out of the present, the gift will be brought forth out of its safe hiding place so that it can enrich the life of the child in the world of real life, not just the cupboardly world. And uh, this perspective is reinforced by the description given, given in Revelation that we look at uh, the next time. I, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And the fact that it speaks of both a new heaven and a new earth coming down from God should alert us to the fact that the life beyond is not otherworldly, but a totally new and united expression of existence, a restored heaven and earth. And what's more, this final state is so all-encompassing that the Bible speaks of it in terms of a new heaven and a new earth. And Romans 8 speaks about the whole of creation being liberated from the bondage of to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So the whole of creation, not just ourselves, will be restored and renewed. The effects of sin and rebellion will be reversed and the new order established. So far from being otherworldly and ethereal, this new expression of existence will be more solid and more real than this one, and the great picture of this is in C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, The Great Divorce, where he pictures heaven as being so solid that the people visiting it on a day trip from hell mm. find their shadowy beings cannot even take the pain of walking on the grass. The life to come is real and enduring. So that's why we need resurrection bodies to partake of the new, eminently solid and concrete dimension of the life to come. So the next question is, what will the resurrection body be like? Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He describes the resurrection body, that new entity through which we shall be perfectly expressed, using a very helpful analogy. He says that the comparison of our present physical body to the one that we shall have in the hereafter is like that of a seed to a plant. The former contains within it the germ of what the plant will become, but we could never guess the beauty of the plant from the little seed in which it began. Now, to catch a glimpse of what such a body will be like, Paul points to the resurrection body of the Lord Jesus. He calls it the first fruits. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and uh, 23. After Jesus rose from the dead, people could recognize him, but he was somehow different. He could appear and disappear and pass through locked doors, and yet he could be touched and felt. He was physical but in a new way. 
And similarly, our bodies will be totally under our control. I imagine we'll be able to think where we want to be and like members of the uh, Starship Enterprise, uh -huh. we'll be able to transport ourselves over. And I often refer to Jesus' final ascension as beaming up. What does that mean? So. It's not like beat me up. Right? Beam me up, yes. Beam me up, Scotty. No. I cannot, Captain. The knobs come off. He doesn't know the reference. Oh, oh this is from, the, from Star Wars, uh, from, from Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah, this is where they transport mm -hmm. over great distances by disassembling molecules mm -hmm. and reassembling oh, them again. They were saying beam, not beam. Beam, oh. beam me like up. A laser beam. Okay. Yeah. So your molecules are disassembled <laughs> and then reassembled beam, at yeah. the other location. Thank you for asking the question, Victor. That was the question. Yeah. All right. Now, if you have read the passage in uh, Mark chapter twelve with the uh, dis discussion with the Sadducees, you may have felt a, titch, a, a, a tinge of sadness that there will be no marriage in heaven. Some of you might be rejoicing at that. I hope not. But um, most of us, most of you who are married, will be, will be uh, you know, a tinge of sorrow. There'll be no marriage in heaven. Well, don't despair. If our most meaningful human relationship now is as a seed, think of what depth and delight will characterize our heavenly relationships, the plant. We can only imagine the possibilities of complete union and harmony with everyone. Uh, for those of you, again, who are Star Trek fans, Deep Space Nine, there is a group of people who are all part of this great uh, pri uh, primordial soup. And they're individuals, but they kind of each communicate with the other and, and, and they, they come out of it as individuals as well as being um, uh, 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 all united uh, together. So I believe that our reunion with loved ones will be far deeper than anything we have known so far. The resurrection state will be vastly superior to what we know now. So if you've been enjoying married life, just think of what's in it for the future. Just a, a far even greater state than marriage. The next question, when do we receive our resurrection bodies? Well, for most of us, we will receive their res our resurrection bodies after we die. But for some, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the ones who are alive when Christ returns, the transformation of their physical bodies will happen at that time. There will be a direct transmission, uh, translation from one existence to the next. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And for the, again, those of you who are C.S. Lewis uh, uh, fans, he speculates uh, on such a direct transformation in his science fiction novel, Out of the Silent Planet. And he describes how on Mars, where the beings residing there have never sinned, they live in a regular physical existence for a specified period, and then they are translated from the purely physical into a wider dimension of life. Now, this experience is actually alluded to in Scripture as having already happened to some notable people. wonder if you can name them. Well, in Genesis 5, 24, we find the curious reference to the sudden disappearance of Enoch, who walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Likewise, Elijah is taken up to heaven directly in a whirlwind rather than go through death. The body of Moses... is never found 
and the references to that in Jude. Uh, you don't have a tomb of Moses, right? No tomb of Elijah, tomb of Abraham, but no tombs. Um, and then Matthew records at the moment of Jesus' death, uh, Matthew 27, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So I believe that these advance or direct transformation resurrection experiences would explain why Moses and Elijah could appear with Jesus at the transfiguration, not as ghostly spirits from the past, but as holy ones of God who were present in their resurrection bodies. This may also have been the case with Mary, because the tradition says that there's no tomb of Mary, right? It's a tomb of Peter. Pretty big. I've been to it. Many of you have in Rome. He's there. Bodies of bones are below. But is there, is there a tomb of Mary? Strange. Because the tradition is that Mary died and she was translated at that moment. And that, that to me is entirely logical because after all she has been, she was the tabernacle in which the, the Spirit of God uh, dwelt and created out of her flesh, created Jesus. So it's entirely natural that as the one obedient one, the one who's through whose obedience salvation has come to us, uh, that she should be able to make appearances today. I'm not saying that every appearance of Mary is one of these, but it does explain why Mary could, could appear. Now, how the resurrection affects us, so that's, uh, that's what when we receive it. Okay, next how the expectation of resurrection affects us today. And uh, the implications of this are twofold. Christian holiness anticipates the resurrection of the body and so leads to the care of our bodies today. And Christian mission anticipates the restoration of creation and so points to our involvement in creation today. I find this absolutely stunning, and I have seen, in a sense, the development of this, not that I've read everything Tom Wright has written, like Greg has, but um, uh, th 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 there, there has been, uh, he's been, certainly in his more recent books, unpacking what does it mean to have resurrection bodies? How does that affect us today? And it really does, and I'm so excited about this, because this brings, while being securely grounded in the historic biblical Christian tradition of the resurrection of the body, he then addresses the deep uh, uh, yearnings of many Christians who would not perhaps describe themselves that way, but of getting involved in society, in, res in, uh, in, uh, in political and social work, and so on, and the environment. So here we go. So first of all, the care of our bodies. If we are going to receive resurrected bodies, it matters how we treat our present bodies. To explain this, I want to use an analogy. Most of us on this call and here in the room would recognize the need to study the Bible, to pray, to worship. To what end? To grow ourselves spiritually. We are living out our relationship with God that will last forever. We are preparing, in the old sense, our souls and spirits. Well, what about preparing our bodies? True. We know that our present bodies are subject to decay and will be remade. But if we use Paul's picture of, in verse uh, 22 of um, 1 Corinthians, 
to know that, uh, sorry, of Romans chapter 12, sorry, chapter 8, we are groaning as in the pains of childbirth. We can see that just like natural childbirth, if we do not care for the body, the mother's body, which will bear the child, the baby to be born will be deficient or underdeveloped. I would propose that in some way what we do in the body now affects what we will become later, our new resurrection body. And to support this, I'll quote from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 13, where he discusses sexual immorality. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In the next verse, he says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Why would Paul jump from talk of resurrection bodies in the middle of a discussion about sexual behavior? Because what we do to our bodies now affects what our resurrection bodies will be like. And Paul ends that section with, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, I would expand taking care of our bodies in the present to include the food we eat, the exercise we take, the sleep we get, and so on. And I'm preaching to myself here. I don't want to be too rigid because uh, many people are subject to negative physical conditions through no fault of their own. I'll mention one of these at the end. But what I will say is that right living and Christian holiness through care of our bodies anticipates the resurrection of the body. So secondly, the resurrection affects us today in our care of the world. The second implication, Bishop Wright expresses this very well. Long quote. If you believe in resurrection, you believe that the living God will put his world to rights and that if God wants to do that in the future, it is right to try to anticipate that by whatever means in the present. It is your job as a Christian in the power of the Spirit to anticipate that glorious final state as much as you possibly can in the present. Live now by the power that is coming to you from the future by the Spirit. And in the same way, live socially and politically because God is going to put the world to rights. That's the great theme of justice in new creation. It's up to us to produce signs of resurrection in the current, present, social, cultural, and political world. End of quote. Now to me, uh, I think this is absolutely stunning. Uh, it unites Christians uh, together, people who might be quite at different odds, ends of the Christian spectrum, all of a sudden, again, as I say, based on the traditional biblical, traditional view, you have answered the concerns and the, the, the vision of people who might be from a different perspective, but it, 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 it addresses those concerns. The environmental movement, uh, to, to say nothing of our need to be socially, politically, and culturally involved. Because, another quote from Tom Wright, because resurrection is a creation-affirming doctrine, it also goes with the desire to change injustice in the present. And uh, Bishop Wright uh, explores, expands on this in his book, uh, Surprised by Scripture, where he explores more deeply the implications of the future reality of resurrection for us now. And in the chapter, Apocalypse and the Beauty of God, and I have this as a handout, taken from Surprised by Scripture, and it's available for people here. If you want a copy, please let uh, Labrie know. 
Uh, it's just about half a dozen pages. Tom Wright says this. He looks, uh, so in, in this chapter, he looks at how the, uh, the, the resurrection, the concept of resurrection, applies to the role of the arts. He speaks of God's future breaking into the present and that, like apocalyptic, art helps us glimpse the already existing reality of new creation from within the old, so that those living within the old catch sight of the new, inviting them not to escapism, but to hope. I'll read that again. God's future breaks into the present that, like apocalyptic, art helps us glimpse the already existing reality of new creation from within the old, so that those living within the old catch sight of the new, inviting them not to escapism, but to hope. And he says that true art approximates more and more to the vision of the way things are and the way things will be. Now, I trained in architecture, and as an architect, I can see the role that architecture as art has in catching a glimpse of God as he is now. And I'm going to show a couple of slides from my architecture lecture, which was given here a couple of years ago. So this is catching a glimpse of God is of how God is now and the kingdom as it will be. Remember the seed and the plant. So how does architecture do that? Well, one would immediately think of the beauty of a building. Here's the Thorn Crown Chapel in Arkansas. Yeah, we've been there. Beautiful. It just, I mean, stunning. Almost makes you feel like you're here at La Brie. The beauty of the garden, and you can see the outside, inside, and so on. Now. The beauty of a building, whether it's small or large, expressed in pleasing structure and harmonious proportions, the use of materials, the play of light, points to the beauty of God. Mm. Another example, which is very current, would be the Church of Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom, built by the Byzantine Emperor Justinian in 532 AD. He asked his architects to design a cathedral to rival heaven. I'm quoting here from... Uh, a web page, a chap called uh, Andrew Gould. Oh, it's, oh it's, that's sorry, that, that quote's coming up. Anyway, he asked his architects to design a cathedral to rival heaven. He wanted a building that would in instantly transfer worshippers into a state of ecstasy and entice a transcendental connection between them and their God. So in 988, a thousand years ago, Emissaries of Prince Vladimir of Kiev, who was seeking whether to become Jewish, Catholic, or Orthodox, visited Hagia Sophia and was so enthralled by the building and worship that they famously remarked, Only this we know, that God dwells there among men. In an Orthodox church, the interior represents heaven, and to enter into it is a step into the new Jerusalem. That's not what they said, but that's what the commentator says. So, God dwells there among men. That was their impression as they had the worship, but they imagine the incense, no instruments, the choir singing from behind the cloud of incense, and so on. So the Russians chose orthodoxy. So architecture, like art, uh, as art, can give us a glimpse of the life to come. Christian mission, through beauty and care of the world, anticipates the restoration of creation. So, in conclusion, resurrection hope. Meanwhile, for those of us here, our time has not yet come, and we can join with St. Paul as he says, we groan inwardly as we await, uh, as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For those of us with disabilities or ill health, 
we can look forward to a time when those limitations will be no more. Joni Erickson Tada, the once star athlete paralyzed from the neck down through a diving accident in her youth, has had an extensive ministry writing and speaking about how God enabled her to cope with her disabilities. And she tells of an engagement at a home for the mentally challenged who were not paying much attention until she spoke of her own hope of the resurrection and the new body she would receive. She then said that they would also receive resurrection bodies with new minds, at which point their attention was engaged and they burst into applause. <laughs> Beautiful. So, we join with Paul the Apostle. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So such is the sure and certain hope of the resurrection we have through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He points us away from mere survival as a shadowy immortal soul to a robust and confident existence with a resurrection body in a renewed heavens and earth where God reigns supreme and which impacts our lives here and now. This is our Christian hope. Oh well, Brett. Okay, we've got questions now. <laughs> Inwardly, uh, Vince is saying. He's groaning inwardly after a hard day's work. Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much, Brett. Uh, I'll speak loudly, but if, uh, if you can repeat. I will repeat Clark's question. Clark is now asking a question. I'm actually sitting behind the couch, uh, and everybody's been looking, bending, twisting their necks between looking at the screen and looking at me. But we, that's, anyway. Go ahead, Clark. Uh, so. How do you understand the passage in Ephesians that says that through the power of the resurrection we have been raised with him and seated with him? And so what Paul's using is a past tense to speak of a present and future reality. Definitely, absolutely. So how do you understand that you are seated with Christ right, right now? Well, I would say, for instance, we look around at ourselves now, we are sitting here in Central Saanich, or North Saanich, or Brazil, or wherever you are. Uh, we are not literally seated with Jesus. But we are, in one sense, spiritually seated with Jesus, that, that, that in a sense, uh, we, we have a, a dual citizenship, so to speak, which is another reference in Scripture. But that this is, in a sense, anticipating our future hope. That, that even though uh, it will, this will be a future reality, we still have the impact of it right now through the possession of the Holy Spirit. And he mentions, you know, that, that's that we, we are living temples through which he dwells. So, so we, we have as much as we can at this moment, but we're anticipating what will come. Because he speaks about all things in, in, in Ephesians 1 verse, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 1 verse 10, that all things will be reconciled in Christ. So that, 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 that is a future hope there. So there's, it's kind of future and 
present reality. So you're talking about eternal life begins now. Eternal life begins now. Be yes, yes, yes. Like and as a matter of fact, I would say that these verses in Ephesians actually embody the, exactly what I have been saying. Um, it was interesting what you were saying about the soul being within Christian literature circles. Or right. Question the soul, about the soul? About the soul being immortal. Immortal. Im that, the immortality of the soul. Perception. Correct. And I was thinking for myself, so what, what do I believe about that? Do I, have I thought about, I don't think I've thought about it much in terms of resurrection body versus resurrection, a resurrected soul. And I think that I've definitely had both concepts, um, but I'm just wondering if there is a strong biblical support for resurrection of the body. Where do you think that idea of resurrection of the soul being the primary thing? The resurrection of the soul, well, the resurrection of the body, well, the thing is that in the Bible, the soul is the being, your, your essence, rather than some part of you which survives it is kind of the it is all of you your personality I mean that's the concept so where, how do you think we got that all twisted not all twisted but how do you think we got it so that it became just this oh, part how did we twist it okay yes, I'll tell you why by thought from outside of Christianity Greek thought for instance and other uh, other uh, religious uh, perspectives you know reincarnation that you kind of have a, a whole new body all over again that, that, you, that your soul goes that that's another aspect Whereas the Christian perspective, the biblical perspective is, is that we and our bodies are, are integrated. Yeah, but, but it's actually, see, Greek thought crept into the church very early on. And because it was just so ingrained in the whole of society, we just kind of went or went along. And oh, yes, because our, our minds were not renewed. And there are other things that were not renewed, such as, for instance, the role of women, which was quite different in the New Testament as it was in the, in, in, in the later church where you kind of begin to adopt patterns in society. And that's why we are always semper reformanda. We are always reforming. And because all of our conceptions are always kind of need re-examining because we are uh, influenced by other outside thoughts. But wouldn't it also be from the passage where it said um, uh, he will raise all up? Yes. And they will be judged, and some will yes. be everybody raised gets to everlasting raised. life, and some to everlasting death. Correct. Yes, everybody gets raised. So is in that sense of uh, everlasting death or eternal torment a sense that may be arguing backwards for an immortality of the soul? Not an immortality of the soul, because you actually are in your resurrection body. So everybody's resurrected, but some to eternal life and some to eternal death. Now there's another issue which made, it, made another whole lecture uh, on uh, whether it's eternal in terms of its effect, which I believe not goes on and on and on forever, but it's eternal in its effect. Um, That's just um, yeah. Well, I just, you just refer to Ephesians one uh, ten. Yeah. Uh, basically says that all things uh, in heaven and on earth were brought together under Christ. Well, if it's all things, is that an argument for universalism? Uh, good question, Greg. Good question. Did you hear all that? Yes. An argument for, for uh, universalism? Oh. All things will be resurrected? You're accusing Paul of being a universalist? No, no, I'm asking the question. Yeah, that's right. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's what... No, he is not. Bring all things in heaven together under one head Christ. Yes, everything comes back together 
and the problem will be with those who have not submitted their lives to, to Christ where will they be you see and it, it, there are two pictures which again I'm anticipating a lecture on, on hell but um, you know there is the fiery thing which is one concept but there's also and I'll be mentioning this actually in the next lecture the people are outside the city it's the concept of being excluded which is much more I think realistic to us but the, the issue is is that everything which is in line with God will be brought back into the center the whole earth and the whole universe will be restored but there will be those who are not pleased with that and so they will it will be a li you know kind of a living hell or a living anyway it'll be it won't be comfortable for them and as we know from the stories in the Narnia tales the dwarves are there at the end but they can't see all the beautiful things happening alongside them <laughs> yes I learned that from you Greg <laughs> Oh, we have a question here in the audience from Donna. Um, just if you could just review what you're saying about when people when people die before the resurrection actually takes place. Right. When, what, right. What, what, just what do you think is happening? To recap, when people die, what happens to you in the in-between state? Yes. As I said, just remember, it is very difficult. So, in a sense, all that I said was speculation, but I did like that concept of the fact that just like with a computer your hard drive embodies your your software and your memories and so on that those you know that's that's your personality your soul if you want to say it, in in that sense and that that god keeps that on his heavenly usb stick or the heavenly cloud pardon mm -hmm. the pun um and and that then that is reconstituted in our heavenly bodies but but the question is of course if you take the other biblical picture of being asleep Kind of the next picture we have is kind of being awoke you see yeah so I, i'm sorry that i have to give you those those two pictures because jesus says you'll be with me today in paradise at the same time paul speaks about those who are being asleep so we have so we have to hold those two in tension should we keep holding the view of sheol as christians very good point the question is should we keep holding the view of sheol as christians and sheol is then sense the place of departed spirits um, it, it's on, on the whole it is kind of shadowy thing it, 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 it is a shadowy existence um, Samuel is brought up from Sheol um, uh, my understanding is that Sheol has there's the good part of Sheol which uh -huh. is called paradise oh, the good part of Sheol called paradise and the bad and then there's two different areas of the bad uh, the two different areas the of the bad who um, uh, who are not uh, I don't know if it's an eternal damnation at that okay. point, but there's one where you know it's reserved for Satan. And okay, Clark is point pointing to t t th actually three different areas. You've kind of got the good area of Sheol where you're waiting is paradise, then the area of Sheol which is totally the people are totally lost, and I guess the other one is we're not quite sure. I don't, so know. I don't know. Right? I don't, yeah. Not okay. Well, Clark has just answered the question. Uh, because I hadn't heard of that three-level nature of Sheol. Yeah, but, so when, um, I hear, when I hear of paradise and Jesus referring to paradise, my okay. understanding is he's referring to the paradise of Sheol. Oh, okay, the paradise of Sheol. They receive their bodies. The paradise of Sheol, right. Okay, thank you. So That's, I, had, I didn't of, know about it's that. It's a place of goodness, a place yeah. of joy, but it's not complete. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes? Um, so Abigail. if... Um, if we're in, when we die, if we go to paradise. If we go to paradise. We're asleep. Yes, are, are asleep, yes. Then 
what was the whole point of when Jesus died that the holy saints, their, their graves broke open and they... Right, what was the point of the holy saints in Matthew coming out of the graves? So, do our graves... Like, there's this whole thing about Christians for a while, or, or they're still about, oh, Christians should not be cremated because then how will we... Right. Well, I can, I can pretty much tell you that those uh, saints in Matthew were probably, uh, their bones might have been there, or, I mean, some, some of them might have been burnt, um, but uh, God would reconstitute, I mean, I mean, obviously those bodies are not the same literal bodies. I mean, after all, our own bodies, the ones you have now, are not the same physical bodies you had seven years ago. Right. I believe we're totally okay. remade every seven years, those of you who are medical people so uh, we uh, so we have totally new ones so those people when they were resurrected they had renewed uh, renewed bodies so uh, in a sense it's kind of it's a bit of a speculation but God, uh, God didn't need their remains I would say not necessarily so right. not necessarily so but but in a sense it's it's very you know just to have somebody just kind of appear to you um, well it says that they, in that passage in Matthew, let me just get it, it says, I don't know if people actually saw them get up. Here we are. Oh, here we are. The tombs, the, the, the earth shook and the rocks split. This is chapter 27 of Matthew. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to, to many people. Okay, so this was when he died. Yes, this afterwards. Happened? Yes. Well, this is, they didn't show themselves uh, after Je until after Jesus' resurrection. So where were they? Where were they? Well, they were in the tombs, it says, and then they came out. So obviously, I guess this is referring to the bones of the people. So, so when the earthquake happened, their tombs split open. Yes. And for three days... Well, I think this is a compressed time. Okay. Yeah. I, I think there's lots of things happening there. The temple torn in two was at the very instant. Mm -hmm. The tombs broke, or the earth shook, the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city. So, I am not an expert yeah. on... Where were they hanging out? Yeah, where, where were they hanging out? Well, they were probably saying hello to each other. They hadn't seen each other for a while. But, but obviously they didn't appear until after the resurrection because Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, you see. So maybe it was that the tombs broke open and then after the resurrection they actually came out. I don't know. It's a, it's a very cryptic statement. Maybe kind of like Samuel being called up from the, yes. the grave, but instead of through necromancy, it's maybe through yeah. the power of Jesus. Hey, Brett? Yes. Can I say something? Okay, this is a question from Vince. It's not a question. Oh, not a question. It's, uh, but first I'd like to reply to Abigail when she said God doesn't need a remain. I thought maybe God needs a remain because of the DNA he wants to know. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Vince is wondering whether God needs our, our, our DNA samples. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? You know, what do you forget about? Yeah, you know, like, oh, yeah, check the DNA. Yeah. But then the other thing I'd like to say is that, because I don't really read and do any research, but I do lots of thinking. I don't know which one is harder. But um, I always thought that when we die, 
We we are just we uh, we're just energy and we can travel at light speed. That's right. Okay. And Vince's question is: When we die, we're just like energy and travel at light speed. And we can go anywhere else we want. Go anywhere else you planet. want. There's like because I'm sure there's like thousands of planets, but there's all. That's right. You thousands of planets. You can. You're Star Trek. Right. Well, exactly. 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 Beat well, me up. Beat, beat me up. It's a nice idea, but this is not yet to come. This is after the resurrection because our bodies are so important. You see, yeah. we've actually and Tom Wright is especially good at this because he says that with the the advent of the um, of the Enlightenment. We develop this two uh, this uh, two level universe with the physical world and the spiritual world, and the kind of the two don't don't interconnect, and so the spiritual world becomes the private world and almost the imaginary world. It's up there, out 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 of you know, and the real world is the world here, and uh, that is a disfiguring of the biblical worldview. So we are much more integrated than that. So. We have developed naturally, and I'm a fan of these movies since everything, these TV shows, Vince, but that isn't quite the same. Now, I will say, and I was speculating on this on Tuesday at the lunchtime, when you know, matter and energy are transferable. And I just wonder whether energy and spirit are also transferable. And um, that... Uh, and certainly people experience energy when the spirit comes upon them sometimes people experience like a, a bolt of, of electricity um, so again not dividing the universe but saying that there is a continuity between one and the other I think that sounds much more biblical than this idea of two totally distinct worlds and being completely distinct and that may be another way of kind of how our spiritual entities kind of re-energize re, uh, as, <laughs> yeah, as, uh, as physical ones. I'm not sure. But either way, that wouldn't happen until the resurrection. Correct, yes. Uh, unless ah. there was some unusual thing, like these folks at the resurrection, like notable people like Elijah and Moses and Mary and so on. So here's a question. Where did those resurrected bodies of the holy people... Where did they go? Where exactly. Did they go? Uh, don't ask me. I mean, that's, I, I, that is a, a, a great mystery. Right. Are they, uh, are they uh, playing clouds? You know, like the question is, what happened to those resurrected people in the meanwhile? But again, I think it's you're going in and out of time. Okay. But then Jesus said he was going to be in paradise. Mm -hmm. So he's hanging out in... Right well, now, keep yeah. in mind, you see, that Jesus was, you know, there's other pictures of Jesus descending into hell or the place of departed spirits. Right. And, and there's the question of whether in 1 Peter he's preaching victory to the, uh, the disobedient angels from Genesis chapter 6. There's all kinds of speculation. Of what he's doing. Yes, of what happened, yes. And, and there's Christian folk tales. I know when I was in Bulgaria, there's a big, obviously, because it was made it, to be a huge panel of all the pictures of the Virgin Mary going to hell and uh, preaching the gospel. But it's possible that when he says, today you will be with me in paradise, but that's not the place where Jesus stays. Okay. Uh, uh, Clark says, today you'll be with me in paradise. doesn't mean necessarily that's the place where Jesus stayed. If you hold the idea that Sheol has the place of paradise, because in Jesus, uh, then after that, after that today is after the today he's raised again from Jesus sin, is raised and then he ascends and then he ascends yeah because he's, 
he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Yes, right. yes, that's right. And so it depends on if you understand when he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, is that in his descent? In no, his in what, his, sorry? It is in his descent. Oh, in his descent. Oh, in his his descent. Okay, that is, it is we in his going to the place of the death. Paradise. Yes. It is of his ascent. But it is immediately oh, after the oh, cross he oh. descends. And Sheol has an idea of paradise. Okay, so that this is, is the paradise, interpretation. Interpretation. Uh, which is part of Sheol, which is part of Jesus' descent. Isn't that something the Catholics have a purgatory? Is That's that a different concept altogether, where yeah. you, where it's, I mean, Paul has the refinement. So you see in, I think it's Second Corinthians, where we will be tried by fire. And so our works and so on, those which are of the Lord will stay, and those, those things which are not of him will be burnt away. So, but you, you have another extension which is quite different of suffering for your own sins, which is actually contrary to the, the, the gospel of grace, where it's only Jesus, it's by Jesus' death that we are saved. But it fits in with what I was saying, that what we do now contributes to our life to come, because if it is not of the Lord, then that does need to be uh, burnt away, so, so to speak. You know, there are things of which we are ashamed. We don't want that to enter into the next life with us. Mm -hmm. Do we need, to, um, uh, question, do we need to bear in mind, like when you say we have a resurrection, we need to think of the resurrection for the body and for the world. Um, can we not just think of it as like we're called to holiness? Like it's hard for me to think I'm going about my day and oh, I'm, living into this resurrection or I'm trying to... Right. How do we do this regularly, day by day, living in this resurrection idea? Do I constantly, or do I wake up saying, what am I going to do today, which will last for eternity? Right. And then I think for the world, I think of sort of the social justice. Yeah, social justice. People are trying to really, like, save the world by their own efforts. But I think it would be a good concept if we thought, how do we think of this world as God is going to resurrect the world, and how do we participate in that now? Like, I feel like social justice becomes something where it's just, we just focus on the here and now. Right. And we just focus on the here and now, yes. We're not thinking not at all. about, no. exactly. yeah, like, uh, you know, we want to be, we want to have our mind on the future hope. Yes, not just that's right. Yeah. But, but I think because our mind is fixed on the Lord, it has such a deep effect now. So for instance, our worship, you know, we're looking forward to the time when we're going to be with the Lord, but we want to develop our friendship with Him now. So likewise, we want to put into practice justice and issues of concern for the environment and so on. That's part of who we are as Christians. This is not just for, for the, the people who think that way or whatever. I mean, not that we can be involved in everything, but that all these concerns are valid godly Christian concerns and so we encourage people who are keen on a particular area and so on we encourage them to get involved there and to do the Lord's work in that particular sphere but I would say we should you know, live each of our days not realizing what are we doing towards eternity you know what are we contributing to this life and the life to come so it's kind of a, it's, a, it's a double whammy rather than always thinking of pie in the sky when you die or cake on the plate while you wait you know, I mean, it is both that we live 
here and now, but with a view to God's eternity and what would God like? What would God, what is God's will? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. So is pursuing excellence or, or pursuing excellence pursue his, or to glorify him or, I mean, the motto for the kids' schooling is to know God and make him know. To know, right, exactly, is exactly. Is that enough or do we need, like, yeah, is that enough just a motto to know God and know his will well, I think that's a good start um, but how you know God I mean somebody who is say gifted uh, you know uh, say in, in the physical sciences to really investigate and to see how God has made us you know that would be their contribution um, or say to, to go into drama and uh, theater and to really allow that uh, expression of art to be an expression of of godliness to see the truth it doesn't have to have a particular quote christian theme but to be able to see issues of truth and reality uh, the, the way god sees them i just think it's so exciting one of right, if you might use the, the you know tom rice parable sort of of these of the stories oh tom rice parable oh, the, the wait, which is what the, the uh yes of uh, christopher wren building his cathedral that's at the end of my uh, architectural lecture where yeah <laughs> He goes past uh, three guys, and he, he's, it's, it's in St. Paul's Cathedral, and he goes past these three stonemasons, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, uh, I'm, uh, I'm cutting this uh, stone. And the next person says, uh, well, I'm building this capital, which is going to go on the top of this. And the next person says, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build his cathedral. So we're helping God build his cathedral. We're not just doing our routine stuff. What we do, because we're possessed by the Spirit, we are in God's business and building God's kingdom as much as is possible here on earth. But obviously, it will just be, it'll be incomplete and imperfect, etc., etc. But just like ourselves, we are imperfect Christians. We are imperfect lovers of God. And yet, we want to grow in that love of God and in that depth of relationship with Him. And so we, we march on, we move on in hope, in hope. You know, Brent. Question from Vince. The thing remained that nobody will know until we die, right? Nobody will know until we die. In a sense, that kind of assurance, yes. Although we do have all the pointers with the resurrection of Jesus in particular. Because that is the kingpin, the, the, the crucial point of, of Christianity. Jesus rising from the dead is the lens by which we look at the past and the future. So we need, well, I need to believe in Jesus Christ's direction in order to move on in my life. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus Christ in order to move on in your life. That's excellent. Yes. So I have to read about it and make sure, then make a decision, do I believe it or not? You have to make a decision whether you believe it or not. That's excellent, Vince. You, you spoke the absolute truth. Brett, thank you, my ego. <laughs> Brett. <laughs> no, but, but, but that's true. I mean, that's, I mean, it's an encounter. It, it's, it is like getting married, you see. I mean, you, you have to make a decision. You have to move into the relationship. And it isn't an easy thing, and it's not something you do just by your mind. It's something you do with your heart. And so we move into this living relationship with God. And when we move into that living relationship, then everything that Jesus has done becomes applicable to us. I'd like to. Have, I'm going to have to start reading about the resurrection because I don't. I cannot make my mind about it. If I 
when I read the Bible or any TV series about it, I, I don't believe it. There's too many things that seem to yeah. Well, start with the Rent Vincent said how difficult it is, and you can, you know, what kinds of things, all kinds of ideas. I, I would say you start with the resurrection. Well, if the resurrection of Jesus is real, if it's true, look at the evidence for the resurrection, then that, from that, all kinds of other things begin to, uh, to, to become clearer. Do you have a book on the evidence? Of we the do. It's fact, Matt, I think there are quite a few books around here. Oh, well, give me one. Yeah. We will give you one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's a wonderful uh, position. A wonderful. I would like to say that my ideas have been helped a lot by the Narnia tales and by uh, some tales of, by Mark Helfer. The, the Narnia tales and? Mark Helfer. Mark's, uh, tales by Mark Helfer. Mark Helprin. Okay, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with his work. Okay. Thank you. Uh, but that's a good follow-up. Mark Helprin, the, the hero goes to the fields of waste, and there is a, a cloud which separates him from the other world. And he puts his hand through the, through the cloud, it disappears. When he pulls it back, his hand appears. Oh. His hand is what? When he pulls his hand out of the cloud, it disappears again. When he puts it into the cloud, it disappears. Oh, yes, okay, it disappears, yes. Oh, Reaper Cheap, of course, goes into, you know, is, that's an interesting thing with Reaper Cheap, how he dies and goes into the, uh, into the sea. It, the, the, these concepts are so difficult because we, we just, you know, it's, it's something beyond our own existence, like trying to explain to the baby in the womb, which is perfect and beautifully formed, as to what life will be like outside the womb. We do not know, yeah. but it's real, and, w and we are equipped for it. Fred, too, in French time, I think we talked about the Narnia series. The Last Band was probably the best picture I've ever, I've mm -hmm. ever read yeah. on, on trying to understand the uh, new mm -hmm. creation. Well, I, th I think it's so important to, to get this right. Because we, we go around saying, you know, believe in Jesus and you go to heaven when you die. And that becomes like a very kind of me-centered religion. You know, you're in it for what you can get out of it. Whereas if yeah. you say, in Jesus, God has become king. And God wants to be your king. You've been living in rebellion. Let him be your king and then start to build his kingdom within yourself, within your friends, your family. Bring in all the good things that I have won for you through my death on the cross. Bring freedom, forgiveness, mm -hmm. healing. Bring it. You know, you are the channel. You are the grace. You are engraced. Yeah, it's great. Dan, yes. I, uh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm just curious, uh, in, regard, in regard to what we've said um, about uh, Christ not staying in paradise right. uh, after meeting the, the thief there, uh, is it valid to say that a person goes to be with Jesus when they die? I, what I, ha I have changed, what I have done in terms of comforting people and saying, I say, we are safe with Jesus. We are held by Jesus, that, that we are in his hands. And I, th and I think that's the most important thing um, without going into all the analogies and, and telling this dear 90-year-old that they are being on the heavenly USB. I don't mention that. But to say that, that we are in, in, in the hands of Jesus, to depart is to be with, with Jesus. 
So I, I think that's the important thing to do. As long as you do not let the person think, well, you're just floating up in heaven and that's, that's all there is to it kind of thing. But it's just okay, a state. But, uh, is he actually, uh, my question was, is he actually uh, present with us after we die? Oh, we are we present with him. We are present with him, you see. I, 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 I would say, you know, he, he, he like holds us in his hands, you know, we're in his heavenly cloud, you know, like, like we are there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Even though he's also with the Father. Well, yes, and he's all over the universe, you know, kind of thing. But, but, but we are with the Lord. I think that's the, no, that's, that's clear from the Bible. You no, know, we're with the Lord, right. but it's also the sense that it's not all yet complete. Yeah, but it's not, uh, uh, Clark mentions, but we're with the Lord, but it's not all yet complete. And you have those pictures in the book of Revelation of the saints under the altar crying, how long, O Lord, and so on. Um, that, that hmm. It's very difficult, I think, to kind of get transferred from one time situation to, to, to another. Um, but, but I think some of these things are helpful just to expand our memories or, or to expand our concepts and to move away from kind of this, you know, put your slot, put your money in and get, and get the get the prize. It's it's you know, this is a much, much bigger picture, much bigger picture. You're signing on for the heavenly for the earthly family, the church. You're signing on for God's kingdom uh, schemes. You know, this is this is not small stuff. This is big stuff. Sorry, uh, so, Abigail. Uh, um, where does the uh, streets of gold and oh, the gold of pearly everything come? come where in? do the streets of gold is come that in? New heaven. Yes, that. Where, so where Abigail is going to come back to the lecture in whenever it's going to be in September, and she will hear <laughs> all about it. Remember, okay. I said we had these two concepts, which would show us what the afterlife was like. One is resurrection. One is uh, helpful analogies. So we are going to have lots of helpful analogies. So that's a helpful analogy? In the second, yes. In the second, yes. Much, so, and I'll explain why. It's not a reality. Uh, and the symbolism, it's, that is, okay, I'll, I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little, a little, uh, a, a little taste, all right? Okay. Okay. Brother and sister are wondering, why do mommy and daddy like to sleep in the same bed together? They can think of only the best thing they could think of. They must like to eat chocolate in bed. You know, that's the best thing they can think of. But there is something far greater. So you have in the picture all these beautiful mm -hmm. stones, the best that you can imagine that the world has to offer. Mm -hmm. okay. And it is merely a picture yes. of the deeper reality which is to come. And there's a whole lot more. Oh, come back, come back. <laughs> I'll be there. Lord It's a good question. From Donna. Just the whole thing about the, the time concept of, you know, we're safe in the hands of Jesus. And yes. Some people are safe in the hands of Jesus for the past, you know, thousand, two thousand years. Yes. Um, but, you know, we look at everything through the lens of, of where we are, which is a time in this dimension. But the time in the, in the other dimension is so... Right. Like it's Donna is pointing out that people have been safe in the, in the hands of Jesus for the last 2,000 years since, you know, and of course Abraham before that and Moses and everybody else, and they've been kept safe. So it's, it's very difficult for us to kind of speculate on, on, on time. We just know that they are with the Lord and kept safe and that mm -hmm. they will be brought back 
when he comes in mm. glory and everybody is resurrected or transformed at that moment. But I don't look at it as they're dormant for 2,000 years. They're not, they're not dormant, no, no. But, but they're outside of time, you see, so... Exactly, yeah. But didn't it say they could be sleeping? Well, exactly, but, but, it's, but, but when we sleep, what's our next conscious moment? Right, right. It's, it's waking up, you see. Yeah, and also sleep is not, you know, Paul's talking about the perspective of the people, seeing the people who have died. Clark says it's the sleep is the perspective of the people. And so he's saying done, who have, they are but asleep in the Lord, right? Asleep in the Lord. But you can think of, uh, but when you sleep, you are transferred to a different state, if you, especially if you dream. Sleep, you're transferred to a different state, especially uh, if you dream. So you think of someone like Samuel, who had died and been called from the grave. Samuel's called from the grave. Yet was very cognizant and aware. He was very cognizant so and aware. Like a conscious state. But, so it's a conscious uh, state. But not this type of state that we have now. But not this, the same state we have or now. Or what we will. Or what we will have. What Maybe we will have. Where Samuel is then is still not yet complete. Mm -hmm. It's a very shady. Yeah. He's yeah, kind of bothered to be, to be able to. He is bothered actually by being woken up. Yeah, yeah. he was woken up though. I was saying he was asleep. That's right. Well, yeah. Samuel, Noel, he said, why did you call me? Yeah. Why did you call me? It didn't say, why did you wake me up? No, but it sounds like he's a bit annoyed. Oh, he's definitely annoyed, kind of like when I'm woken up in the morning. Mm. I think that's, yes, I think that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions from home or? I just want you to know that there's nothing deeper than chocolate in bed. Okay, Vince says there's nothing better than chocolate in bed, so we'll be having a, a disagreement about that. No, be fine chocolate. <laughs> Shall we yes. call it a so, night? Thank you so much, Brett, for all your work. Thank you. Look forward to part two. Look forward to part two. See you in the fall. Yeah.